Um, we're going to be reading from um, Acts 16, and if you don't have a Bible with you today, um, we have some people coming down the aisles. Just raise your hand, and they'll be willing to uh, give you a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at all, you're welcome to keep it. Um, so we're reading Acts um, chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 1. Paul also came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for obedience the decisions that had been made been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phygeria and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. Just a couple of things before we get started this morning. I, my name is James. If you're first time out, uh, just I'm going to be uh, have a chance to share the Word of God, the, the Bible, with you today. And so I just encourage you to uh, please come up and talk to me afterwards if you have questions about anything that's said, and we'd love to love to talk to you about that. Um, just a couple of things of clarity. Just want to reemphasize that we the elementary students are in the service next week. We are providing nursery and uh, twos and threes and the junior explorers, it's just the elementary students. So grades two to five are gonna be in the service for next week. Um, you could be praying for uh, 10 of our uh, volunteers who are going, leaving this morning, who are going up to um, Camp Wajidawin, which is our, we have a Royal City Camp Week right now. And uh, so all the staff are up there right now. There's two 16-year-old uh, leaders per cabin, but we get to put one of our uh, key leaders in each of those cabins with, uh, with them. And it's going to be a, a great week. 47 students from the city uh, who may not be able to afford in, uh, camp, uh, have uh, very little church background. We just went to neighborhood groups and said, hey, send us your kids. And uh, they, uh, they did. And uh, I know the reality is some of the behavioral issues will be present uh, on that week. And so would you just pray and pray over them this week and uh, just keep them in mind as they go and uh, uh, as we, and those families that are behind, uh, that are staying behind and uh, that God would do some great things. And we see some amazing things come out of that week. Uh, it's going to be awesome. And then uh, today, uh, we just, uh, Lindsay just read scripture and would you just... I'm going to pray. Uh, Lindsay's husband went into the hospital last night. He, he's home now. P potential appendicitis. Uh, we were just thinking about him today, and uh, he, uh, uh, we're just asking God to, uh, to do a work of healing in his, in his life. And so there's many others. But before we go, before we open the Bible together, let's pray and ask God to, uh, for these things that we just talked about. 
God, we thank you for uh, uh, the, those who are going now for uh, this Royal City Camp Week from these, all these kids from Guelph, these junior high age students. God, would you do an amazing, amazing, amazing thing as only you can. We believe in you. We believed in prayer that you answer our prayers. And so, God, we ask today for the, the lives and the souls of those who are uh, going. We pray for the volunteers that are going to love on students uh, today. We pray for safety as they drive. We pray protection over them. We pray uh, against Satan who would like to bring uh, distraction. We pray for Jeremiah and Matt as they open the word and as they bring the devotions each day. Would you just use their words? And Father, we love you. We thank you for uh, Nathan, and he's a, been a, he's a, a quiet guy, but a, a real steady, amazing guy in the community, in our family. And God, he is going through a rough time with this uh, appendicitis, potentially, and just, God, we pray healing. We believe that you are the great healer, and so we ask, Father, that you would do something there that only can be attributed to yourself and that you would, he would be able to walk out of this and just say, God is good. And we thank you. We ask these things, God. We pray that you would use them and that you'd take this time. We ask for your word to penetrate our hearts, that we wouldn't walk out of here um, and just kind of say, well, that was a good time, that we would say, uh, God, I heard from you. And that's our pray to, prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you haven't turned already there, would you join me in, in Acts 16? If uh, you, chapter 16 is where we are, we've been walking through the book of Acts for the summer months. And so uh, the challenge is sometimes as you jump in each week, if you've been away on vacation, is to kind of jump back into the story. And so we'll do our best. But I encourage you, if you want to just catch up, you can go to the podcast section on iTunes and you can listen to any of the messages and just kind of catch up if you want to see where we've been. But we're uh, in a remarkable narrative today. Just a real amazing story. And it's one story, three conversations uh, that happen. And it's stories about God who, who bring, he takes people from incredibly different backgrounds. Uh, there's, a, there's a woman here, there's a girl, and, uh, a rich woman, a girl, and a man, but he brings them all to this, this same place to becoming followers of Christ. And this is really a message as, about this word conversion. It's using uh, about how God brings people and converts them. Now, when I talk about conversion, I also, I kind of have this moment where I, I go, man, conversion. It's this word. And I always think of those who have been invited, maybe by someone here in this room. You've, you've kind of relented, maybe, to persistent invitation, or you're genuinely interested, but you have come here today, but you're not sure what you uh, believe yet. And, and when you hear someone about, talk about conversion, all of a sudden it's like, oh man, I got here. And this is what I you hear about Christians. All they want to do is convert me. That's what they, that they would say. And the answer to that is yes. Uh, if we're really honest, we're really, I do want to persuade you to the gospel. But I want you to hear me out. The honest truth is not uh, that it's about shoving things down people's throat, but that if uh, Christians believe that something has the, something or someone has the ability to save you for all eternity, that it would change your life forever, 
Is it not the most unloving thing to not try to persuade someone to that? And so we say these things not to, uh, we will follow social cues. We won't make you stand up or anything like that. But we are saying today that when God, we are asking God to change people's lives. And, and really, my hope is that you'd see God in these amazing conversations that happened today. And so here's the, uh, here's the context that we just sort of heard read in the geography to help us place us. Last week, we had uh, the story of how Antioch over here, how Paul makes their way down for this big church debate in, Ju- in Jerusalem, and they've made their way back up to Antioch. They're not, Paul and Silas, they're not staying in, in Antioch any longer. They've, they're on their missionary journey. So they begin to make their, their way up and in, over into north and, and uh, west into what would the Bible times call Asia. And uh, they are, what really comes through in this passage here is that they're not really in control of where they're going, okay? They're being told, you can go here, you can't go here. The Holy Spirit is telling them he's closing doors and he's not allowing them to get into certain spots. That's, that's what is really going on with all these places and, and spaces here. Now, after Paul and Silas uh, arrive in this uh, this place called Mysia, you'll sort of see that just directly below the South Sea. They want to go north into Bithynia. That's where they want to go. And again, the Holy Spirit says, no, you can't go there. And closes, it off the, closes that door. We don't really know exactly how they get the doors closed, though it does seem as though dreams and visions and things are happening in this time. So there's sort of clear pictures that they get the doors closed. And so they end up in this city called Troas, which, uh, which is uh, right there. If everyone can kind of see it there, right below uh, Apollonia. And so Troas is the city that they end up in. Uh, and then Paul has this revelation that they were, of where they were to go. They were going to head over into the region of Macedonia, which is really modern Europe. And in verse 10, we, we find this amazing, it, it, what we find here is a change of pronoun. They becomes we. And what you got to realize is that at this point in time, Luke had moved from being sort of a detailed researcher of the stories of all these journeys, uh, journeys that have been happening up to this point. And he joins the party. And he becomes an eyewitness to these three conversations. And so they are incredibly detailed. It's because Luke is right there. Luke is, hears and he experiences the stories firsthand. And so I love that about that. It just all of a sudden, it says that we, uh, we, they become we. And this morning, we're going to talk about these gospel conversations. And I want you to see that each of the people that we encounter in, the, this, in these times are a type of person. They are a type of person that you and I are going to encounter in our lives here in Guelph, and they are a person that you are going to have an opportunity, if you're open, to share the gospel to. But let's look at them and see how the gospel is shared in really completely different ways. So the first gospel conversation is about a woman, is with a woman named Lydia. It's found in there, so turn, look with me again at verse 11. 
And it says this, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and followed the following day to Nepolis, and from there to Philippi, which was the leading city on the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where there was supposed to be a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. And one, of, one who had heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was also a worshiper of God. The, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said to her by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to my house to stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, if we're, here we are, we're introduced to Lydia. A few things to, to note about Lydia. So first off, she is a woman who is a, a, a businesswoman. Think uh, put together. She has uh, things in good order financially in her lives. She is a go-getter. That's what uh, we're meant to, to see here. And because she sold purple goods, uh, these are uh, cloths who were very, that were very expensive to make. Dyes and those kind of things that were very difficult to, to make would be used and they would really only be sold to the wealthiest people in the Roman colonies. And so really what you want to think of when you see Lydia is uh, a woman who owns a boutique store in downtown Toronto who caters to the wealthy and the famous. Uh, that is uh, Lydia's, Lydia's work. And, and, and then we find out that she's a worshiper of God. Now, that's a little bit broader, but the, real, the word really here is that she is a God-fearer. And so that's a Gentile who is converted to Judaism. And so she's, uh, she is religious. She's not allowed into the inner courts of the synagogues. She is allowed to be in the outer courts. And then it, it, we see here that they have a time on the Sabbath day where her and other women would gather together for, um, for prayer in a, in a known place. And so Paul, Silas, Luke, and possibly other people, they come and they indicate, and they, what they do is they really sit down among them. And this indicates that this isn't like some giant, this is not this. This is not uh, a, a sermon. This is not, this is a group of people who are sitting around kind of in a circle and they're really having a, a prayer meeting and an evangelistic kind of Bible study that they're, uh, that they're inviting people to. And so really what we see here is a Bible study and prayer group. Now, can you rem- imagine if you were sitting there and you were leading a Bible study and Paul of Tarsus Saul of Tarsus decides to show up to it and sits down amongst you. Now, Saul, first of all, would be, in many ways, if you hadn't heard the news, incredibly fearful person. But if you had heard the news, he would have been like a Jewish, well-trained leader. Uh, He was uh, trained uh, theologically under some of the greatest teachers in the world. So Paul comes in and sits amongst you. And then he says, no, no, you go ahead. You keep leading uh, the Bible study. I talk about, like, I'm intimidating. It's like when I looked at one time and I saw the president of my, of my uh, theological seminary there when I was preaching, all of a sudden I was like, okay, it's a big gulp. It's like, 
I hope I don't say anything that's uh, heretical today. Uh, it's intimidating, right? When you, when you see someone in your midst that you know has more knowledge than you. But, but Paul and Silas here, it doesn't sound like they teach them. What it, it really talks about is that they have a sense of conversation going on. There's a dialogue about the Bible. It's not one person talking. And then what happens here, it's verse 14. Lydia engages in a discussion with Paul and possibly others. And it says here, these keywords, and the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. And I love the word that is being used here when it talks about being pay, this word pay attention. It's a, it's a single word uh, in Greek, and it, it really is far stronger than sort of when we say pay attention. Why don't you say it with me because you might already be dozing off. Pay attention. Okay, okay. so pay attention means that you're listening fairly uh, in, uh, acutely or you're just listening in. But the word here has a nuance of addiction in the, in the original language. And really the idea we have here is that Lydia is experiencing through the Holy Spirit that she is beginning to crave the gospel. Some of you here are in your lives are beginning to crave the gospel. You want it to affect your life. You want to know what the Lord says in his word. You want it to change you. And that's the idea of understanding truth and how it connects to your life. And then the response is that Lydia believes and she's baptized. Belief and baptism are the, are the combo package of the New Testament. It's not like you believe and then when you become spiritually mature, then you become baptized. It's like first step. It's like right then. And what we have here is then a result of the gospel upon Lydia's heart. She says, if you consider me a Christian, if you judge me to be faithful, would you come to my place? And this idea of prevailing, she says, experience my hospitality. This is one response to the gospel. When the gospel breaks into the life of a person who um, has everything that this life offers, she has wealth, she has influence, all these things. And what happens is she says, I want to use these things for the sake of the gospel. She is crazy generous, and she begins to use her good. She says, here's my stuff, use it. Here's my home, use it. And so this is Lydia here, spiritually interested. She's religious, not yet a follower of Christ when they first meet her. Well, you get a sense, I would say, the morally upright um, I ask you this question, is how many of you um, know somebody in your life that you would say, that's a Lydia in my life? Let's see those hands. This is participatory this morning. You would say, someone who's not yet uh, a follower of Jesus, but man, they're moral. They seem spiritually interested. They're not like rejecting everything outright. Um, they've got some things in life maybe seemingly together, but they're kind of like put together. I know, I, I've got someone on my street like that, that they're not like antagonistic towards me. And what we find here is that here in Guelph, lots of people in our community could fit that description. 
Sometimes they have a Christian background, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they've been active in church in the past, but some of them have just kind of like rejected the whole institutional religious thing. But they're saying, I'm, I'm still spiritual, right? But whatever it is, they're open to having spiritual conversation. And so what is the key, uh, if we're gonna talk about conversion and we're talking about gospel sharing, what we're gonna do, this is a real practical thing today. If you want to share your faith, who here wants to share their faith? Okay? Okay, and if you didn't pop your hand, I'm judging you in my mind right now, and all these things. I'm just joking. But what we're saying is that if, we, we, we're, if we're to see this conversation, we're also to see how they shared faith with this person. And what we do is we engage the spiritually interested person. We do this... Um, and we learn from Paul's example here. What we do is we expose them to the Bible. If someone is interested, you expose them to the Bible. You may be surprised at how many people are actually willing to read the Bible if you ask them to read the Bible with you. And what, you find, what we find is that we simply need to extend the invitation. But we usually often say the no for somebody else before they even say no. You talk yourself, we talk ourselves out of extending the invitation because we're like, well, they're not, they would never really want to do that kind of thing. They wouldn't want to read the Bible. But if we believe that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit, if we believe this, then it, we also believe that the words hold the power today to change lives. That is what comes from the Bible when you read it. And so if you aren't sure where to start with somebody, uh, why don't you invite them to read the Bible with you? Start by inviting them maybe to an alpha uh, to, and, and then go with them. Don't say, there's a great program, I think you should go, but um, I'm not going to go. It's go with them. <laughs> Take them to something. Or, here's another one, an idea of just jotting down 20, 30 of your favorite verses, giving them to someone and saying, would you just think about these, a couple verses each day, ask yourself the question, what is God saying in these verses, and what does it mean for me? If you were to do that kind of thing, the power of Scripture can convince you, them, in ways that you would never be able to. That is what the Bible says, that the, the, the scriptures themselves are powerful. They are able to convert somebody without your conversation, without your words. And so if somebody is spiritually interested, we take it as though this is from the Holy Spirit usually. That's what, that's what we should assume. And that God's word will do a great thing in their lives. And so you'll never know if you'll be rebuffed or not. But here's what we got to say. It takes guts to take the initiative. We have to be confident. And that confidence isn't just something we just kind of drum up, but we ask the Lord to give us a confidence that isn't like from ourselves, that we aren't like proud or anything like that, but we just have a confidence that God is already working. And so if we are rebuffed, but we're, if we're not, here's what's the worth it part, is that you get to be a part of the journey of someone experiencing the grace of God and truth of the gospel in their lives. And it is a gift you will never forget. You will thank God for it. When you get to be a part of the mission, 
instead of being sort of on the sidelines. And that's the, so that's the first gospel conversation in this story. Let's keep going. So gospel conversation number two, because this is one story here, we find as we, as we continue that it says, as they were going to this, back to this place of prayer. So they found spiritually interest, interested people and they kept going back to that same spot. But God had a different plan. God had a, another encounter for them to experience. And so they come upon a girl who is being exploited for financial gain. We're not going to read the whole passage. I'll let you read it through. But this girl is the opposite of Lydia. She is a, 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 woman, a girl who is in her mid-teens. Okay? She's a teenager. She has a demon. That's what it says there. And she's a slave. And, you know, so that means that she is a, a, a spiritual slave. And she's also an economic uh, captive. She's busted up. She's uh, taken advantage of. She is not on the way to the prayer meeting. She is not going there. And she couldn't even. If, even if she wanted, she was a slave. And second, she didn't seem to have any interest in it. But what she does do is she begins to follow Paul and Silas around. And she starts like yelling out, and this is what we see in verse 17. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. On the surface, she doesn't seem to be the best billboard for the gospel, okay? But this is what she's yelling out over and over again. And so this girl here, this uh, teenager, is someone who is both attracted to the faith and she is antagonistic towards it. And uh, there are a lot of people in this world who are uh, like this, who are in captivity. There is something about the message of the gospel that draws people, but there is an underlying seething distrust, anger against the message or the messengers. And so what we find here is that um, we, we find this woman who is this in captivity, any, any of you uh, know, have someone in your life that loves to engage you in spiritual argument, okay? They don't really want to uh, hear, but they want to argue with you. And so that's, uh, if you've got someone, someone like that, think of this uh, slave girl this morning. And what she does is she is persistent. She keeps doing it for days. And what, it's, and what we find here is that Paul, having become greatly annoyed. And I love that about Paul because it speaks to the honest emotions of Paul. It doesn't say Paul full of great compassion (laughs) or Paul tearfully and tenderly. No, it says Paul peeved, (laughs) disturbed. And he says this in the spirit to the spirit that is within this girl. He says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. That's what he calls, that's what he, that's what he says. And it came out of this girl at that very hour. And how does this girl get saved? It's not an evangelistic Bible study. It's not a conversation. Paul p- performs an act of deliverance. He calls upon God to do something that takes out one of her, the greatest struggle of her life, so much so that she be, she's no longer a circus act for those who own her. And that's what uh, it says here, that her masters make money on her and that the slave owners fly into a rage. 
Why are they so angry? Because, get these words, the hope of gain. What is their hope? Their hope is not in the girl's well-being. Their hope is that she will continue to make money, and they will make money off her back. And so they are uh, oppressors to this girl, and they care nothing about her, but they are so angry that they start a riot. Chaos, mob ensues during this time. Notice what God does when people experience the gospel in their life. You know, for rich people, like most of us here in Canada, it makes rich people crazy generous when the gospel grasps their heart. But here's what it also does. It breaks into the lives of little girls and little boys who are exploited. And he saves them. You want to think of the sex slaves in Cambodia, those who are being trafficked here in Guelph, who are exploited by pimps, people who are say that they're devalued. And then it sets them free. That's what the gospel does. It brings freedom. I talked about this last week, that the gospel always brings freedom in supernatural ways. And so this, this girl is a spiritual captive. How do we love the spiritual captive in our lives? How do you bring the gospel to the spiritual ga- captive? Well, there's really a way that I think we got to do it, and it's, uh, I think we can see it here. It's we go. We go to the physical and spiritual captive. The slave girl is the opposite of Lydia. Lydia has her life together, but this young, demonic, afflicted girl has nothing. So, and a lot of people who are stuck in spiritual addiction, and maybe you're here in this room, you've got it maybe looking surface-wise, but you're stuck in some kind of spiritual addiction in your life. But they come to this place where they is a, there is an actual victimization mentality, like, that they are the victim in all things in life, and it's debilitating. People are torn because the gospel draws them to something, but they are so angry about maybe the hurt they've experienced in the past, the pain that they have, and they have mistrust. And so you might find them railing against the church, but if you listen, if you really, really, really listen to the heart, you hear the heart cry of those people who are calling out for a redeemer. They need a savior and they need a healer. So how do we reach out? We, we go like Paul is here and we get involved in their lives. We need to pray against spiritual attack. That's what we have to do. We pray against when we go and we deeply participate in relationship. That's why we encourage our missional communities when we talk about that you don't just choose a mission that, where you could raise some money for something or you uh, would uh, do good things. But we participate in initiatives. We do things together that affect justice, that actually build relationships and, and address even brokenness, and we become friends. 
I loved it. We showed some pictures on Facebook the other day about the Trailbrook MC, which is uh, working with Youth for Christ and uh, is involved in the drop-in ministry with at-risk teens. Or the Willow Road one who is, has people who are involved in breakfast clubs and those kind of things. It's not that they're doing these good things for the sake of doing good things. It's that there is real people in those places. And here's what I know, friends, that in our Guelph, in our Western culture, people are just not wandering into church anymore. And so the call upon our lives is to go, is to go into the places where they are facing their addictions and they're facing their fears, and then we walk with them. And this is not easy. We go and pray for them. We don't give up when things are, are not easy. And we even have times, and this is probably why we've, we've chosen to go this direction, we have times of prayer and we say, do you need healing here? Because we believe that some people here in, in our midst as they come to reunion even from our relationships need to pray against and receive the healing that only God can do. And so what we have here is we have this conversation from the spiritually interested and then we have the spiritual captive. But there's a third one. And so the story doesn't end there. We, we find, if you were to continue on in this story, we find a third gospel conversation with a man, a Roman centurion. But here's what happened. The demonic exorcism doesn't go well, humanly speaking, for Paul and Silas. They get beaten and they get thrown into the deepest parts of the, of the jail. So jails were down in pits. J- jails were, uh, had multiple levels. And if you were a bad criminal, you were put into the deepest inner parts of the jail, not the outer parts. And what we find here is that Paul and Silas are put in there only really for their own protection so that the mob won't kill them. And, what, and so what happens is, uh, is they are thrown and put in chains down to those dark places. Have you ever done something really good and then been attacked for it? Good motives, you tried to do everything, and then, but you received nothing but uh, punishment, it would seem, for the thing you did. Here are Paul and Silas, uh, as a result of freeing a girl from demonic oppression, who are thrown into prison, and they're hung by chains, and they have every reason to complain. Every reason. They are experiencing injustice. Right? Right? Let's, let's see. A, right? Injustice. Right? But what happens is, what happens then is that instead of complaining rising, singing rises from the, dark, the darkest parts of the, the prison. They probably sang Amazing Grace. <laughs> Okay, a good, good father. Because everyone loves that song, right? Like, the, whatever the hymn was of the day, they were singing it. And you imagine all these prisoners and even the guards falling asleep to the songs that are happening there. They fill the whole prison. And the story tells us that the sleep that they have is broken by a violent earthquake. It's, it's, a, it's a big one, enough to blow open 
the, uh, the gates and, the, uh, and all the jail cells. Everything is, and all the chains come off people. And it's this point here in the story that we're introduced to a prison guard. The centurion. Now, you don't become a centurion overnight. A centurion, a Roman centurion, is really, uh, this job at the end is sort of a plum career job that you kind of just look after, you get paid well, after you have proven yourself on the battlefield. So this guy is battle-hardened, he's tested, he's a man of war, and he would have been a man of torture, as he's shown already the ability to beat, Uh, he's overseen the beating of Paul and Silas here. They've seen, he's seen some of the worst things that life is uh, about. And the centurion, he here, he wakes up and he sees, he, he, he knows as a moment. It's one of those horrifying moments when you realize that all the prisoners, your one job, are gone. He think, that's what he thinks. They're gone. Because who would stick around? Their gates are open, their chains are off. And so what does he do? He pulls out his sword in order to take his life because it's what, yeah, that'd be better than what's coming to him for, lose, for losing prisoners. And instead of silence coming out of the dark places, out of the dank prison jails, comes a voice. It says here, do not harm yourself. We are all here Centurion here, he experiences grace and he, it says that he falls to his knees and instead of experiencing vengeance, which is what Paul could have done at that point in time, he's shown grace and the result is that him, him and his whole family become followers of Jesus. Why is Paul willing to sit and stay in the jail? He's innocent. He knows he shouldn't be in prison at all. Just a few chapters earlier, we, we find out, you know, that Peter, something happens where he's in jail and, and a, there's an angel that takes him out and Peter just walks out of the jail. He doesn't stay there. But what I think we, we see here is that Paul recognizes that this is a part of God's plan to reach Philippi. And to reach one person for Jesus. And hadn't Paul prayed to you, that God would use him to reach the, the city of Hil- the, the people of Philippi? And so if, if it was part of God's plan for him to suffer, to spe- experience the jail, to experience all these things, so that he would have joy, he would demonstrate joy before a Philippian jailer. And then tell him the reason he was so happy. And then show him grace instead of vengeance. And I believe you can read this and see that Paul would say this is worth it. So Paul stands. He has freedom on, the, on his right hand. He has a jailer. The one who has hurt him has beaten him on his left. And instead of turning towards freedom, he turns back to his own oppressor. You, see, you start to see why this would be moving to, a jail, to the jailer, to the centurion. How many of you can identify the jailer in your life? 
a skeptic, someone who's hardened by life. Maybe they've become seen a bit too much of, of the bad of life and they've become bitter. How do we love them? Well, here I think it says that we, experience, we demonstrate grace to the skeptic. The skeptic is, the hardened skeptic is probably not going to join you in reading the Bible, doing a Bible study with you right now. They're probably not going to be drawn to a worship service just because they like the music. It's really, it's just truth. This guy got saved because of two things. He observed Paul and Silas' joy in the midst of suffering. And then he was the recipient of extravagant grace. And so when they were given those, that chance to turn the tables, they extended grace instead of the vengeance. And so even the most hardened cynic that you meet in your life has a question in their mind, a wonder that happens when they experience those two things. Why do they have joy when they are suffering? When I see them suffering like all these other people who have become bitter, why do they have joy? Why do these Christians have joy? Nothing puts the gospel on display more than grace in the middle of injustice. And so the amazing part, church, of the gospel is this, that when the Holy Spirit captures our hearts, we are not just able to love the spiritually interested person, which is usually the easier one to love. If you've got someone who isn't rejecting you right off the bat, okay, they're a little easier to love. And there is a part of many people, especially if you are one who loves to help and to seek out those who are really struggling, to love the spiritual captive. The gospel allows us to love those who oppress us. Isn't that amazing? And it's not because of us. Because I know I don't love my oppressor in my life, naturally. So we have three people who are saved here, three conversations. And what I love about the Bible is it's so applicable if we're going to talk about sharing our faith. We said that we wanted to share our faith right? If we're really going to be honest, share our faith here today, if we're going to have the good news for people around us. But the, the passage here tells me something really important about the gospel is that the gospel is for everyone. It is not for a type of person. There is a rich religious woman in the story. There is a slave girl who is demonically and oppressed economically. And then you find the most hardened, skeptical, uh, powerful man, and they all get saved. And this tells me that there is no type for get becoming a Christian. People say to me all the time that there's a Christian type, you know? There's a Christian type out there. Well, there is one creator and father, and we all have one problem, sin, and we have Jesus dying in our place. But the church, praise God, is full of vastly different types of people. And God is doing great things in our midst. And we are seeing different people get saved all the time. And we have the, a unity. There is a unity found in Christ that you can't experience anywhere else. 
And so this passage really points us to a cross-section of our city. When we pray in Guelph as it is in heaven, are we willing to love our neighbors enough that we would actually figure out what are the greatest cravings of their heart? Are, what, are the, what ways do we need to adjust and love them in order to, for them to hear the gospel clearly? Because that's what Paul, what Silas do here. They don't just kind of have a cookie cutter methodology. They do different things in response to the Spirit's work. And we ask ourselves, what are the inner longings that only a relationship with Jesus can fulfill? But if we left it there today, folks, if we left it there, where we just talk about, well, it's uh, the gospel, it's for those people, you know, those people out there, we risk putting this message out to some arm's length. Of course, the spiritual captive needs the gospel. Look at their lives. They're a mess. They're a mess. But we forget so easily because the gospel reminds each one of us here today that Jesus took on the sins that are found here in this passage in these conversations and he puts them to death through his his crucifixion and his resurrection. Have you ever been skeptical, doubting, religious? Have you? I have. Jesus died for our religious selves so that our cravings would be only fulfilled in him. Can we all point to moments when we've been addicted? When we didn't have everything all in control? Where we gave in to evil over good? Well, the gospel reminds us today that Jesus willingly became a captive for our sakes so that we would experience freedom. Are we not all hardened a bit at times? Is there no one in this room who has ever been cynical? Are you cynical? Have you even been the oppressor to someone else in your life? I have. I've done it in my marriage. I've been the one who has, have not, has not cared for the good of my wife. And the gospel reminds me that Jesus willingly was oppressed so that we could experience the grace of God. And this is great news. So the spiritually interested needs to be confronted with the word of God. The spiritual captive needs us to encounter, they need to encounter someone who will love them. And the spiritual skeptic needs to see grace before they'll listen to the words. But the truth is the gospel shows no partiality. We all need the the good news of Jesus. Because of that, the church is a place of unity doesn't always look that way, but it is a place of unity because of this, that every person from every background, religious or irreligious, it says here male or female in the word, young or old, rich or poor, from good families or broken ones, the gospel is for all. And this is good news for us today. Would this really, really be true of us? Let's pray. God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you that as we come and respond now, that you have something for us to just continue to work. And God, may this passage not be just about us sharing our faith with other people, 
but that you have something to speak right to our hearts today. We need you, God. We love you so much. Praise you and ask that you do something and would continue to do all throughout the week in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.